Well, let's take our Bibles and let's make our way to Ruth chapter 4. Uh, this will be our last week uh, going through the entire book of Ruth, and I'm particularly excited about today. Hey, if you're new here, I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Ethan, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's an honor to have you worshiping with us today. I do want to say welcome back to all of our different summer missionaries that have gotten home a little bit earlier than the others, but uh, Rachel and Alex and I know Jake is here, and then, hey, we love you guys, and we're so thankful for your willingness to live sent over the summer, and so it is so good to have you guys back. I'm, I'm so thankful y'all are here. Uh, it just gets me excited just for this day. Uh, we have a great month ahead of us as all of our ministries start firing back up, and so I hope you're ready uh, for an incredible semester. Um, as we finish up the Book of Ruth today, I, 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 we're going to be learning about the redemption of God as we have been seeing all throughout the past three chapters. Uh, if you haven't been here throughout our journey through Ruth, just a little bit in a nutshell of what we've learned is that in the story of Ruth, it is this story of redemption. This picture of the gospel between Boaz and Ruth and his care and redemption of her, that is a mirror image. This is pointing to Jesus, the greater Boaz, who redeems us of our sins. And so we learned uh, over the past four weeks that in chapter one, we learned that Ruth had this radical commitment to Naomi. When Naomi ushered her to go, just as Orpah did, uh, Ruth decided to stay, and she committed her life to Naomi to be in proximity with her, to be uh, with the same people as her, to be in the same place as her, for one purpose, which is to follow the Lord together. And so for us as a church family, we are committed to proximity together. We are committed to a people here in our church and in this community. We're committed to a place where God has called us to different parts of the greater Huntsville area and with a particular emphasis here in the center of the city, all for the purpose of following Jesus and making his name renowned in the city. We see that in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we saw Ruth's care towards Bo, or Boaz's care towards Ruth. And this is a picture of Jesus' care towards us, that we can receive care from Christ in the most tender way as he tends to our soul. And this is a model of an example that we can care to others in this church family and in this community. And we can receive care when we need it the most. Last week in chapter 3, we observed three things from Ruth chapter 3, that we saw a desire for redemption, a deliverer of redemption, and a declaration of redemption, that we have a need for redemption in our lives because of our sin. We have a deliverer whose name is Jesus, who gives us redemption. He is the Son of God, and He has declared this redemption over us today where we rest in assurance knowing that He is God is covered. This is Jesus. And it brings us to the end in chapter 4, where we are now, where we're going to be talking about the effects of his redemption, the base of his redemption. The question that we're going to be looking at is, to whom, how far, and where will God's redemption go? And how will it affect them? See, the gospel, this word, means the good news. And it is indeed good news, but why is it good news? What makes it good? In, in the mornings uh, when I'm waking up, and particularly in the fall more so than right now, when the sun rises, uh, the windows on the east side of our house 
uh, you can watch the sunrise come up. And it's really, really a beautiful thing. And so if you've ever, uh, if you wake up before sunrise and you watch that, or even like in times where I've been in the woods uh, camping or hunting, whatever it is, and you get to watch the sun come up, it's just a really special thing. And it's, it's when the sun comes up in the morning that in our house, the light begins to shine uh, through all the windows. And so our living area, the bedrooms on that side of the house, they begin to brighten up and you can begin to see in there. Uh, in the morning, as the sun comes up, it begins to get warmer. And so we keep our house freezing cold at night. And uh, when the house, uh, when the sun comes up, it begins to heat up. And I wish it would stop at like a nice, like, you know, 70, 80, but not in Alabama. We go to 100 degrees, then we keep going. But uh, in our house, uh, it, it's nice. And so even so, like one of our dogs will follow the light rays from the windows around the house and he'll just lay there in the warmth because he likes it. And so when I think about this picture of the sunrise in the morning and just how it affects our home and the, and the way it feels in our home and how we see in our home, the redemption of God is very, very similar. See, when it comes to the redemption of Jesus, everyone in its path sees its effects and feels its effects. You experience the light of Jesus, his light of salvation coming to a dark world, the warmth of his salvation, of having a personal relationship with him and being in intimacy with him. It permeates everything. And see, in today's final chapter, you see the length, the width, the depth of God's redemption. And so the main idea that I'm going to give to you today that I want you to catch is this. I'm going to give it to you first, and then I'm going to make a case from Ruth chapter 4 of why I believe this is what we learned in chapter 4. But the main idea I want you to catch is this, is that God's redemption is freely available to all peoples in all things through Jesus. That God's redemption is freely available to all peoples in all things through Jesus. So let's look at Ruth chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read through the whole chapter. We're going to do the first 12 verses first, and then we will unpack this text. So let's read together in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to a relative, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to, perpetu to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Verse 7, now this was the custom in former times in Israel 
concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So then when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi and all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Apathora and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Let's pray together, and then we will unpack these verses. Father, you are a redeemer. And it's in this story that you unpack your great love for your creation that your redemption truly is extended. It's available to all peoples and all things through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so God, I pray right now that you would fixate our hearts upon your Scriptures this morning, that this would cut to our souls, and that we would be changed today, thankful, overwhelmed by your grace and by your redemption. God, I pray that you would move in this moment, that you would speak through me, that this wouldn't be about us, but that this would be about you, and that your spirit would be so vividly working in this moment. God, we love you, and we ask that you would do this now as we read your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. So in these opening verses in 1 through 12, we see the continuation of what's happening in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And so if you don't remember, in chapter 3, we begin to see this love story between Ruth and Boaz in the making. And so Ruth went to the threshing floor where the wheat and the chaff was separated. And she went, and at midnight, she laid at Boaz's feet. And we talked about everything that went into that last week where she is showing her marital availability to Boaz. And so... He promises in chapter 3 that if no one, this Redeemer that he spoke of, that is out there, that can indeed redeem her, marry her, to bring her into his family, if he will not redeem her, then Boaz surely will. He promises her of this. He assures her of this. And so in chapter 4, we begin to see this moment between the initial Redeemer to come and then Boaz following in behind him. And so in chapter four, he goes to the elders at the gate in the city. And it's at this particular place that the elders are present. And uh, the place of decision happens at the gate for moments like this. And for Ruth, the initial redeemer comes. The redeemer in verse one, who Boaz has spoken of, who is closer to her in the, in the line, comes by and begins to acquire about this moment of redemption. And so in the opening verses, they begin to talk through this. 
He shows the interest in purchasing the land that belonged to Elimelech. And then Boaz communicates to him that it's in this that you also acquire Ruth as a bride, as a wife. And you have the opportunity to redeem her and her widowness and bring her back into a family. He sees this, the initial redeemer does, and in the opening verses, he declines it. He says, no. He points it out in verse 6. He says, the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. And so he rejects this moment. And then in due time, in the opportune providential moment that God has prepared, Boaz steps up to the moment and he continues his faithfulness and promise to Ruth. And he fulfills his promise in saying that he would redeem her. And so interestingly enough, in verse seven and eight, uh, we're Typically, when we see agreements today happening in whatever mode they are, for some reason, verses 7 and 8, they're exchanges with a giving of a sandal. <laughs> so if you notice that in verse 7, it says, one would draw off the sandal, give it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. And so this is his way of declaring this in front of the elders, in front of the people in Israel, that he indeed is going to redeem Ruth. So I want to point out something here. Uh, I mentioned that God's redemption is freely available to all peoples. Now, wh- wh- why do I say that? If you pay close attention to the text today, in verse 9, at the end of it, he says, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and not all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also, watch this, Ruth the Moabite. We see Boaz refer to Ruth with the description of her tribe, of her people. See, Boaz is of the people of Israel, but Ruth is not. She's a Moabite, one that is outside of the chosen people, the chosen nation. She is an outsider coming in. Now, when we think about Ruth and we think about Boaz and we think about the grand story of what's happening here, remember what's going on. And the way that Boaz is redeeming Ruth and bringing her in, marrying her, caring for her, bringing her into his family, this is a picture of the gospel that Jesus Christ brings us in, saves us from our trouble, and we are brought into the family of God. And you will notice this that Boaz is of the chosen people and Ruth is not. That does not stop him from redeeming Ruth. It's a picture of God's uh, openness to all peoples all across the earth. We see that salvation is not exclusive to a certain race, a certain demographic, or even a certain nation. But here, Jew and Gentile come together saved by God, following God, all are welcome in. I believe the rest of Scripture proves this. If you're a note taker, just mark this down. Revelation 7 verse 9, John on the island of Patmos is painting a picture of what is to come in eternity. 
And he says in Revelation 7 and verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every tribe, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hand, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. See, heaven is a place, this multi-generational, multi-ethnic group of people from all across the earth, every tribe, tongue, and nation, worshiping Jesus in one accord. And we see this example painted between the marriage of an Israelite and a Moabite. That God's family, His redemptive work is extended to all, including the people we would not expect. She is brought in. So in this life, this same gospel invitation that we have received, we extend it to everyone. We give it away freely to all, no matter the color of their skin, the age they are, what they look like, all are welcome at the feet of Jesus to partake in the goodness of the gospel. This redemptive moment is expressed to Ruth the Moabite. And today it is expressed universally through the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who would believe in him as it compels his church to live on mission for every single person. We see that his redemptive work is freely available to all peoples. The second component of that that I want you to see is it's available to all peoples and then in all things. To all people and in all things. I'm going to explain that. Look at verse 13. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So in these next few verses that we have just read, we see the wedding of Ruth and Boaz. And so they come together in covenant marriage and they conceive a child, bear a son. And you'll notice in this passage, the women say not to Ruth, but the women say to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. So let's go backwards just for a moment. If you remember in chapter one, how did Ruth feel or how did Naomi feel at the end of the chapter? After she had lost her husband, after Ruth and uh, Orpah had lost their husband, she was completely down and out and completely distressed. She said in chapter one that we, that they should call her Mara, which means bitter, meaning that the Lord has dealt bitterly with her. She was in the lowest place she could possibly leave. She was in the valley. 
And so she believed that she had been dealt this bad hand by God. But listen, in chapter one, she is full of sorrow. But in chapter four, she is full of joy. It is true in the Psalms that sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. This is what's happening with Naomi here. See, God, is, his redemption is pouring out over her. Her family has been redeemed. They have been taken care of. And God has not abandoned her for a moment, even when she felt like God had indeed done so. See, she moved from sorrow to joy. See, God's redemptive work affects all areas of life. I really believe it does. That God's redemptive work affects all things indeed. But I want to make something clear, and I want to point out something here. This doesn't mean necessarily He is going to fix every single problem that you have in this life. It doesn't mean he's going to fix every single thing. See, God's redemptive work is made great and made known in your life now. And then it is made perfect in the life to come. If you think of that old candy, I don't know if they still sell this anymore. It's called Now or Later. Do you guys remember those, Now or Laters? It's like the really bad version of Starburst. Uh, you can eat those, and I, and I was just curious. They're called now or laters because like you eat it now, and then it's called now or later because you're still going to be chewing it later because it takes like two hours to eat those things. <laughs> That's why everyone has cavities back in the day. Uh, see, the redeeming work of Jesus is not that. It is some now, but all later. Let me, let me explain this. We will experience great redemption now where we are redeemed from our sins, we are forgiven of our sins, we experience the joy and the fruit of the Spirit, but we will experience perfect redemption and perfect healing, perfect joy in the life to come, in eternity, where Jesus, where, where, where we trust in God's providence and how he carries out this work in this time on earth. I'll explain it like this. There's uh, an incredible pastor. His name is Tony Evans. And if you've ever listened to him, he is a profound uh, minister. And in, in the past two or three years, his uh, bride, Lois Evans, was battling cancer. And so two to three years ago, she went home to be with the Lord as she died from cancer. And I remember I was watching the funeral um, as they were preaching the gospel and sharing about her life. And it was in this funeral that her son began preaching about on just the nature of everything that happened with his mother after she passed away from cancer. And he said something in that message that has stuck with me, and I have thought and thought and thought about it, particularly when it comes to the end of our days, when it comes to the end of our life. He said, and, and, and what he was talking about, that in cancer, or really in life or death moments, it's so difficult to know how to pray. Like what to pray for? How do we persevere through it? And this is what her son said, and I've never forgotten it. He said that when it came to her cancer, she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. He said she was going to live or she was going to live as they prayed for her. Meaning that she was going to be healed from cancer on this earth and experience healing now, or she was going to be healed perfectly as she went to dwell with Jesus. 
She was going to live on this earth now and have more days as she walked this planet, or she was going to live forever with Jesus in heaven. In both of them, God is redemptive. In both of them, God is working. But in both of them, it is carried out differently. You see what I'm saying? See, whatever happens with the Lord's redemptive work and the effects of His grace in our life now, we trust in His wisdom. We trust in His providence that whatever happens, whether we see what we want to see or or even if we see what we don't want to see with the circumstances of life, we trust that God is good, that it is for our good and that it is for His glory. Naomi had no idea what providential work God was doing in her life. And it was in chapter one, she was bitter. She was overwhelmed with sorrow. But it was in chapter four that in the Lord's redemptive work, her family was made new. So let us be overjoyed that in what we have experienced, whatever it may be in this life, we know that God, his redeeming work is affecting us now and it will be made perfect in the life to come. It affects all things. So we see that God's redemptive work is available to all peoples and all things. And the final component of this is through Jesus. God's redemption is freely available to all peoples and all things through Jesus. So I've said from day one, that this entire book in the book of Ruth, it points to Jesus. And that this part at the end is the most interesting to me. It might be the most important part of this entire book. And believe it or not, it is not what you would think the most important part would be. But this part is the genealogy. The genealogy at the end. Now listen, I've gotten to pastor you guys long enough. I know how people feel about genealogies in the Bible, okay? Let's just be honest for a second. When we get to Matthew and Luke, Mark and John, and you open it up and you see so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, and so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. When we're going through our yearly Bible reading plan, it is easy just to take that and we're like, oh, that's cool, and we'll flip on to the next thing <laughs> and not think much of it. But if, if we just pause for a moment, and just think about this genealogy, just short one, you will discover that it is here for a reason. And there is so much to be found in this. And so all a genealogy is, is, is this. It's a line of ancestry. So for example, my dad did one of those DNA tests. Like it's like the one like you spit into a tube and send it off and they can tell you everything about your life and it's really weird. You know, it's one of those kind of things. And he took a DNA test and he discovered that his ancestry uh, and the word uh, our ancestors immigrated from was a small fishing village in Ireland called Groomsport. And so my great, 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 great grandfather was some villager who was a fisherman, I think, in Groomsport. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I, and now I, I want to go check it out. And I can trace the, my family line all the way back there. And so in this final moment, we see a family line that teaches us so much. And this one actually connects the thread that goes through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So look at this genealogy in verse 18. Not random, but here for a reason. Verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. 
Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Now don't miss this. At the very end of this, we see Boaz and Ruth. Ruth gives birth to Obed. Obed and his bride would give birth to Jesse. And Jesse and his bride would give birth to David. Now this isn't a random David. This is the David. This is King David, the faithful one, the one that slayed Goliath, ruled Israel, is renowned in the scriptures. I want to point out something. I just I gotta I gotta prove it to you that this is going somewhere. If you'll just take note of this, where else do we see this this pattern in the Old Testament? Look at Isaiah chapter eleven. I have it up here, or just mark it in your notes. Isaiah chapter eleven, verses one and two. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of who? Of Jesse. And brush from his shoots, his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Who is this passage talking about in Isaiah? Where is this going? Let me give you another hint. Revelation chapter five, verse five. You're going to see a familiar name here. Revelation 5, 5. One of the elders saith unto me, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loosen the seven seals thereof. Folks, when we see Jesse and we see David here, we see the stump of Jesse, the root of David. These passages are talking about one person alone. And if you have not caught on yet, this passage is talking about Jesus Christ the Son of God. So here we are, and let's put it all together. You have Ruth the Moabite, someone who is not a part of the people of Israel, not a part of the chosen nation, and outside of what is commonly known here, you have Ruth, and in her story, she is grafted in to the family of God, and Ruth the Moabite is married in, and her line directly connects with the line of Jesus. Jesus is an answer. He is from the lineage of David, who is from the lineage of Ruth, from Boaz's line of children. And so we see this incredible, redemptive, providential work in this passage. It is from Boaz's line of children that the Messiah would come. See, in God's providence, he brought together a Jew and a Gentile, and it was from this family that Jesus would come. God in his providence centuries before the coming of Jesus, was already doing a miraculous work through a Moabite woman who had no idea what was to come. She was in the small things being faithful to God all the while preparing the way of Jesus Christ. It is by Jesus and through Jesus that we have redemption. And I believe this genealogy is here as the icing on the cake to point you back to God's redemptive story all the way through scriptures, that this is actually about him. Now, you may be thinking, I don't fit the bill for Jesus to redeem me, to purchase me back, to redeem me from 
my own sin, my own guilt, my own shame to save me. You may be thinking, I, I can't be that person. I, I, can't, I'm not, I, I can't be saved. You don't know what I've done. You may, not, you may be thinking, you don't know who I'm with, who I roll with, what I aspire to do, what I do when I'm alone. I'm too far gone. You may be thinking, I'm not a church person. I don't fit in. It would never work. Listen, you are exactly who Jesus can and desires to redeem. He took someone outside of Israel and made them a part of the lineage of Jesus, grafted them in so that they might know the goodness of God. There are those who are far off, those who are wary, those who are running from God. And Jesus can, he desires, and will save you if you call upon him. This is the point of Ruth. The point of Ruth is that all who would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. That all who would run to God would experience redemption through the blood of Jesus. And so today, I want to invite you in to experience the redemption of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 11, the final thing I want to share with you, Jesus is speaking and he shares this profound truth that I have shared earlier in this series that I believe is appropriate now. He says in verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by the Father and no one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Here's the hope that is here for you today. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, if you're here today, walking through life, wounded from life, dead in your sin, where your identity is rooted in the world and your work and someone else, I want to offer you this gospel invitation that Jesus wants to save you today if you've never trusted in him. If you're weary, he says, come. If you're broken, he says, come. And he will give rest for your souls that will last for all of eternity. If you've never trusted in him, the invitation is here for you that today he calls and today you need to trust in Jesus. Let's pray together.